It's now time for the fifth and final episode of the podcast series about the Moomin phenomenon. It's quite hard to say, Moomin phenomenon. <laughs> and it's finally time to focus on the creator, Tove Jonsson. Every time there was something written about a Moomin, there was Tove Jonsson, Tove Jonsson, Tove Jonsson. So, of course, when I wanted to write my dissertation, I had to find out uh, also who was this person, Tove Jansson. So I wrote a letter to her and I got an answer, six pages. Yes, I was interested in, in uh, the gender roles at that time. But she answered six pages. Well, she made me see these phenomenons quite differently. One of the first things I remember, and one of the reasons that I've always trusted her, was in Finn Family Moomin Troll, when, which, as I said, was the first book I ever read. Moomin Mama is tidying up, and she drops the poisonous perennials into the hobgoblin's hat. And um, overnight, they grow into this forest, and they all swing about in it. Um, Moomin Troll gets to play Tarzan, and Snork Maiden is Jane, and the Snork plays the enemy, capital T, capital E with orange peel teeth. And I didn't know what orange peel teeth were. And there's a little asterisk in Fin Family Moon Troll at the bottom. It says, if you do not know what these are, ask your mama. She will know. And I did. And she did. And I was like, how did Tove Jansson know my mum would know that? But she's obviously met her. That's amazing that she knows my mum. Uh, I'm sure she's right about everything else. Tove Jansson, author of The Moomins, does she know everything there is to know? That at least was what actor Sam West was convinced of when he was a child and read The Moomin books for the first time. He was convinced of her presence, as if she were there holding his hand and truly seeing him, as if Tove was sitting next to his bed reading her stories to him. In this series, we've been discussing the Moomin phenomenon and heard the fans tell us how they can be so absorbed by the Moomin world that they even tattoo the characters onto their bodies. We've also examined if there is such a thing as Moomin philosophy. And we've met so many people who have found themselves inspired by both Moomin ethics and aesthetics. We've also inundated ourselves with Moomin paraphernalia and asked ourselves if Moomin has become too commercial. We've been to Helsinki, the Finnish archipelago, London, north and south of Sweden, and least but not least, Japan. And wherever we've travelled, we've found Moomin present. A world filled with Moomins. All right, maybe I shouldn't exaggerate. I mean, there's plenty of places where Moomin hasn't taken root, but I'm convinced it's just a matter of time. But today's episode is going to hone into something else. We're taking a look at the mother of Moomins, Tove Jonsson. Even if there has been a huge amount of extensive academic text about her person, Tove never wanted to be a particularly public figure. She was at her happiest ensconced on her little island in the archipelago or tucked away in her studio in Helsinki during the colder months together with her life partner and love, Tuliki Pietila. 
Now we're coming to Tove's home in Helsinki. A lot of steps, yes, all the way. Sixth floor. <laughs> I'm Hanna. I'm uh, Tove's brother's granddaughter. And I work at Moomy Characters now. I've been here, yes, many, many times. First time said as a child, and, and now it's part of my job taking, taking people, guests here to Tove's home. It's actually not open for the public. We have been kind of taking a few groups per year. We came and visited her once in a while, and then she, and I loved it because uh, at that time she had the big uh, Moomin house here and all the 3D figurines which they made with with uh, Toti. So it was really really a nice place to come and, and visit. Thank you, Hannah. Well, quite a climb, quite a climb, six whole flights of stairs. We're standing outside the studio doors now. We've arrived at Tove Janssen's famous and mythical studio, and we're being allowed in to learn more about her. One person who has been to Tove's studio many times is literature professor Boyle Westin. You've heard her plenty of times during the course of this podcast because she might be the foremost expert on Tove Janssen in the world. She started on that path by writing a letter to Tove many years ago and received a reply that was six pages long. It was the start of a long-lived academic relationship between the two. She's also been where we are today, standing outside the door of Tove's studio for the first time. I wonder what Boel felt as she stood there, waiting to speak to this great author and artist. Oh, I was thrilled, of course, and then I became very, very nervous. And so when I stood outside her door in Helsinki, the door to the studio, I was thinking, what is this? How can I... I, can, I won't be able to say a word to Tove Jansson. But then she opened and I got in and, and she was very... She had a sort of... She made people think that they were special, I think. She, she, could, she could reach out. Uh, and um, I was quite shy. And, but then I smoked at that time, and she smoked too. So we sat there smoking, <laughs> and sort of that created some sort of bond. I don't know, but uh, we began to talk, and I was there for two days, and um, and then I came back, and and we, well, uh, we became some sort of friends um, until she passed away. So I visit her once or twice a year. We'll soon hear more from Boel about the real Tove Jansson. But before that, I need to insist we stop faffing around in the stairway and actually get a look inside the studio. My name is Jennifer Saunders, by the way, and I'm your ever-impatient host today. The person who receives us is Sophia Jonsson, niece of Tove Jonsson and daughter of Lars Jonsson. Yeah, I, uh, we're standing in the middle of uh, the studio room uh, at the moment and it's very high to the ceiling. Um, it's quite spacious and the uh, lovely thing about it is that when you're in here, you feel that you have room to think. Mm. You know, your thoughts mm. can move freely and I think maybe Tove also felt something like that because she loved this space 
She had spotted it actually, in fact, um, I think probably because there was another painter here, Sjalmar Hagastam, and uh, unfortunately he died at the front during the war. So um, whoever was next in, in, in line had a look at it in 1944, I think, and another female painter, and she decided it was not at all what she wanted uh, because, of course, Helsinki was bombed during the war. Mm. And also this block uh, was bombed, not, not this corner of the block. So, in fact, the studio was still pretty much intact, but the windows were broken. And in many senses, it was very, you know, run down. And uh, she didn't want it. But Tove, of course, had been looking for somewhere to work for a very long time. And she said, I'll take it. I'll take it. I don't care what it looks like. I'll take it. <laughs> and, uh, and so she moved into the little room that's at the back of the studio room. And it's very, very small. It mm-hmm. goes by the name of Lilla Rummet, which me- means the little room. And it's really the only room that you could you could think of living in in those days. Mm. Um, the studio, because of where it is, it's, it was an attic space in a way. So there was no heating, no amenities. Um, it wasn't meant for living, which meant that, uh, you know, there was nothing here of comfort. But um, there was a little heating stove in the small room, the little roomet, and that you could heat with wood. And by heating the little room, you know, she could actually sleep here and live here. And then, of course, there was no kitchen, uh, essentially not a bathroom. I think the bathroom originally was in the corridor, but um, there was a a water faucet, so she could at least uh, wash her, you know, paint paint brushes. But um, gradually, of course, the building was fixed up after the war and uh, it became more hospitable. I was here in the 60s as a child and I remember the studio room still being quite cold. And we have photographs of Tuve actually painting here with kind of lots of clothes on and, you know, mittens and things because, yeah, it was a studio space, so it wasn't really... Uh, you know, as comfortable as, as, as a living space. But Tuve loved it. And so, of course, she never gave it up. But gradually, uh, because Tuve lived here, uh, it became more like a home. And now when you walk in, you know, the wonderful big windows and, and you know, the comfortable spaces to sit uh, are... You know, slightly different to what you can think, what you think of a, in a in a poor artist's uh, studio. But um, I don't know. It still has this air of I don't know, slightly bohemian air of yeah. of of you know being a creative person's home. It's really a lovely space. 
filled with books, framed pictures and tiny knickknacks from every corner of the world, from Japan to France to the South Pacific Islands. You could get lost tracing Tove Jonsson's life through all the letters, documents, notes and just loads of books she kept in her studio. And the space in here, all the openness seems to be made for your thoughts and your imagination to soar. And now for some facts about Tove Jonsson to help us understand how she became the person she became. Tove Jonsson was born in 1914 and grew up as the eldest of three in an artist's home in Helsinki. Her mother, and please forgive my pronunciations all the way through this, I am trying my best. Her mother, Signe Harmastjen Jonsson, was a Swedish artist and her father, Viktor Jonsson, also called Fafan, was a sculptor. Her brother Lars also became an illustrator, while her other brother, Per Olof Jonsson, grew up to be a photographer. During her upbringing, she and her family spent their winters in Helsinki and their summers in a rented house on the island of Pelinge in the Borgo Archipelago, which later came to inspire her to create the home of Moomins, Moomin Valley. She published her first Moomin story, The Moomins and the Great Flood, in 1945, but it was the following two books, Comet and Moominland and Finn Family Moomin Troll, published in 1946 and 1948 respectively, that brought her fame. During her life, she wrote, illustrated and painted continuously, as well as being a dedicated pen pal and keeping up a prolific amount of correspondence. Um, I think after Tove's death, the interest in her and her life and her persona grew, and I think it's still growing very much. She was quite an extraordinary woman, uh, for her time. I mean, she was born in 1914, and for most girls, uh, there was no question. Uh, the route was clear. You got married and had children, whereas Tove, um, probably uh, partly because her parents also were artists and they were in favor of her choices, she decided to become an artist and dedicate her whole life to art. Uh, but she also had the freedom to do that because Finland uh, became an independent state in 1917 and had to sort of create its identity. And part of it was, uh, you know, equality for for all. And uh, Finland having given women the right to... Mm to vote uh, before independence even in 1906 um, was one of the first countries. So Tuve had a lot of freedom to make her own choices. Schools were open to women and different kinds of educations were opening up to women and there was a possibility to travel uh, later to, not necessarily to choose your sexuality, but to live a life uh, uh, still not necessarily hounded by the law. Tove ended up living with a female artist um, from 1955 on, uh, Tuleke as I mentioned before. Uh, but uh, homosexuality was forbidden by law until 1972 in Finland. 
So, of course, they had to have a clandestine relationship. So, in many ways, Tove was uh, an extraordinary woman. She was not frightened uh, of walking or her own path and, 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 and being true to her own ideals. To hold true to your ideals isn't easy, especially when fame comes your way, because all of a sudden the author herself becomes the focus, and sometimes that fame overshadows the things being created by them. So how was Torve affected by fame? She spent most of her time in her studio in Helsinki, or in the Spartan house she had built on a solitary island in the Finnish archipelago, where she had direct access to nature and the elements. With the exception of a few trips and, among others, an around-the-world journey, Turvey's main channel between herself and the world was her correspondence. Considering the thousands and thousands of letters still preserved in her studio, I'm guessing she could give Charles Dickens a run for his money as the most prolific correspondent in the world. As I mentioned, Turvey spent all her summers in Pelinge Archipelago with her life partner Tuliki, and the mail service didn't exactly have an easy time of it. Kim Gustafsson, whom we've heard in an earlier episode describing how his family used to rent the summer house to the Jonsons during Tove's childhood, describes the path a letter had to take to reach Tove on her island. It's like, it really looks like Trollvinter now. I can't remember what it's called in English. The book where... Moomin wakes up in the middle of winter when everybody else is sleeping and he doesn't understand snow and he doesn't understand what it's all about. Midwinter in Moominland. So now we're coming to the old house where my grandmother and grandfather lived. There might be a hungry cat uh, coming in from the forest at any time. Uh, So in the 20s, when they came for the first time, uh, the custom was that uh, the people who lived here on the islands they would move out for the summer so the summer guests from Helsinki could uh, move in and be comfortable so our family would move into Lillstugan the small cottage and then uh, Tove built a lot of uh, small tree houses around here and then finally she got permission to build her own cottage on Klobhadern But uh, this was like the base, the, the the harbor that they always used. And at some point, uh, there was uh, one walkie-talkie in my grandmother's bedroom and one out on Klovharun. So if they were in trouble or needed something, they could contact us like b- before the time of uh, cell phones. And then, of course, they came in uh, for their mail. We didn't have our own um, post boxes yet. So we collected our mail from the from the shop, the local shop in Serdabu. And uh, after that, there would be some coffee, either outside or inside if it was cold, and uh, maybe something else to drink. <laughs> and then, uh, this is not the original table, but she would sit here. Uh, grandmother would sit here, and they would have a drink, and she would put her mail... Uh, because she got heaps of it all the time. So she would put it on the table and sort uh, the really important ones that she needed to take care of right away on the table. The 
a little bit later once on the chair and then on the floor, the ones that she really didn't feel like doing anything about. But mostly I think she even answered those because she answered a lot of people that wrote to her. I expect, like me, most people's correspondence isn't always very neatly stacked. It's generally in some haphazard pile in the hallway, whereas Turve was very orderly. Now, I don't know if Swedish literature professor Bjorn Sudmark is any better at sorting his mail, but I do know that when Bjorn was a child, he wasn't particularly interested in the author behind his beloved Moomin stories. That is, until the day his father wrote a letter to Turve Jonsson. Actually, my father wrote to her after the publication of the 1962 edition of um, The Hobbit, which was the second Swedish translation and which included pictures by Tove Jansson. And we really loved that book and we loved the illustrations. And uh, he wrote to uh, ask her about her thoughts about how she had done it and how we had been affected by the illustrations. And he also asked if he could buy if it was possible to buy any of the originals at that point. But the funny thing was that that the that book was not very successful. It's a wonderful edition, and um, it uh, but it was very soon replaced by other editions of The Hobbit with Tolkien's own tra- um, illustrations. I mean, it's kind of odd thinking of both the popularity of... of Tolkien and of Tuvianson, and uh, that this is such a quality work that it's really, really hard to get hold of that book uh, and that it hasn't gone into constant reprints. But anyway, she wrote back a lengthy letter and, and she talked about her inspirations and, and she was happy to hear about our um, uh, enthusiasm about the, uh, the, the illustrations. And I think it's, I, I mean, having learned later that she got a lot of negative press on that for those illustrations, that they were too fanciful and too, too much like her work on, on the Moomin Trolls. Um, I thought, you know, I think she liked to hear from readers that at least some people really enjoyed them. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, that made me aware of the author behind the work. It's a very interesting letter, actually, and I, I have quoted it also in when I write about um, well, in one of my articles, uh, because she writes there about um, that she thinks of Tolkien as a horror writer, which is interesting because obviously nowadays we think about Tolkien's Middle Earth as you know prime examples of secondary world fantasy. But Tove Jansson's illustrations are, are wild and they are completely different and they're very symbolic, I think. Uh, I think they're much, you know, among the best that there are about um, concerning Tolkien's um, work. So, but very underrated. And there has never been an English edition with the the, um, with Tuvianson's illustrations of, of The Hobbit, which I, I've tried to persuade English publishers to do that, actually. I've written to several. I've written to Brian Sibley. I've written to others. and But uh, so far, no success. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, 
a lovely idea. And now I wonder if this might inspire any publishers out there listening to this. An edition of The Hobbit with Torve Janssen's illustrations is actually preserved in the Moomin character archive we visited in our last episode. But let's get back to another Swedish professor, Bull Weston, who has both written Torve Janssen's biography as well as an anthology of Torve's correspondence. Boel had the privilege of getting to come and visit Tove every year at her studio in Helsinki. I got to know her during the years and, you know, I stayed there for, for example, one week at a time. And then I stayed in a, in a little apartment. She and her partner, Tulike Pietle, they had apartments or studios in the same house, but uh, different apartments. And below Tulike's apartment, there was a little flat, just one room and a little, not a bathroom, but a toilet and, and so on. And the guests were allowed to, to stay there sometime, and they had it as a kind of storage for books and so on. So I was invited to stay there. And then, uh, so I was there, and then she used to come down and said, aren't you coming up? We are going to work. <laughs> so I was interviewing her, and then also I was... And there was a gallery, and I was sitting upside in the gallery, and she was downstairs, so to speak. So I could see her. I have a photo as she's sitting at her table writing. <laughs> and then also she, well, she had co- we had coffee and so on. We seldom, there was, there were not so much to eat, more to drink. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, but sometimes Tuliki came over with some, some eggs or some salad or something like that, so... And also, I, you know, I got into her work, uh, let's say, more and more. It was, of course, it's the Moomin books, the Moomin world, but there's also the adult books, her painting, great, great repertoire. You know, she worked all her life, since she was 14, 15, until, practically, until she passed away. For 70 years, it's amazing, actually. She worked all the time. And uh, I know, you know, uh, work was sacred, I think. That was the thing about all, above all. Love, uh, work and love, work in that love. order. That, that, that's very important, I think. That sounds very, very intense, those social visits. Wasn't it exhausting? Yes. <laughs> I was quite tired when I, after the trips, uh, after the visits. And, uh, but also it gave me a lot of energy. I worked, I worked close to her, but for me it's important to say that she didn't read what I was writing until it was finished. That was the case with the dissertation. And then she just had one thing to say, she said, that is not correct, the, the, the title is uh, whatever it was. So it's just a, a sort of fact, but nothing else. So. Um, well, she gave me access to her diaries uh, from from her youth, but also later on. Um, and uh, so I could practically see everything, I think. But uh, also, of course, she had, you know, it's her, she had taken away things and she had, as she said, burned some letters and so on. She said, she writes to uh, one of her friends, please burn this letter, but the friend didn't uh, burn it. So I also read lots and lots and lots of letters, together with uh, her editor, Helen Svensson. Mm -hmm. So we selected uh, letters from 
you know, she wrote thousands and thousands over, I mean, around 100,000 100, letters and more, I think. And some of the letters, they're just like stories, you know. Well, anyway, we, we, we selected some, <laughs> some people. I mean, uh, the letters to her family, to her mother, the letters to Tuliki, Pietle, and the letters to her friend called Eva Konikov. And that was a joy to work with this book together with Helen. It was very inspiring for me to work with another person who was just as interested in Tuviasan as I myself. <laughs> so I didn't have to work alone anymore. But where did Tove find all her inspiration? Apparently, she drew a lot from all the long summers in Pilingi. Plenty of clues concerning Moomin Valley and Tove's writing can be found at the old Gustafsson house. Kim Gustafsson shows us around, and in a small salon, we find a lovely drawing hanging on the wall, a rare thing from the 1950s. Uh, that's Karta over Moomindalen, the map of the Moomin Valley. Mm. That's been around for a long time, I think since the early Moomin books. So it's a map where you can see the Moomin Valley, the Moomin house in the middle, of course, with the garden around it. And then there's a river and uh, some high mountains and dense forests to the north. And uh, the cave, of course. And uh, then where they have their boats and a small island called Hattifnattarnas Ö. Island of the Hatifnatiners. Now, some people say that this map resembles where we are now a lot. So, if we are here, then there is actually a cave on the south side. Uh, there is a boathouse, and there's also an island <laughs> right up to the north. So, there are some similarities. There's uh, something called Tubak. Uh, behind the Moomin house, where Moomin Papan is growing his uh, tobacco. As it happens, my grandfather grew his tobacco on the backside of this house. (laughs) (laughs) You can recognize some things really well. (laughs) And others are, of course, just fantasy. So, let's take a quick peek upstairs. Uh, This is something my cousin found when they were renovating. It's a picture of Snorkfröken, the snork maiden, clearing up an oil spill in the Baltic, looking really angry. It was from uh, one of the first campaigns to to save the Baltic, to keep it clean. Mm-hmm. So she made a couple of posters like this. I think it's from end of the 70s or beginning of the 80s. So we keep finding stuff. <laughs> and um, when Tove was writing... Uh, Sent in November, late in November. She wanted to see exactly what the nature was like at that time because that wasn't a time that they would be here normally. So she came to stay with my grandmother for two weeks, I think, and grandfather, of course. And she would sit up here and write and revise. And then she would come down and have a coffee and, and have my grandmother read it. It's like, so what do you think? Do you think this is good? It, it should, it, it, is the color of the sea okay? And my grandmother tried to <laughs> answer as <laughs> okay. truthfully as she could. And then um, there's a scene where the 
where Philip Young gone, the Philly Philly Young, mm-hmm. Philly Junk, uh, is cleaning hysterically in the beginning, and then uh, she's cleaning the window from the outside. And then she loses her grip and starts to slide over the ceiling. Fuve practiced that scene here. So she would lie on the ceiling. <laughs> and, and because she wanted to feel like uh, the fear of, you know, sliding out into the... <laughs> it's not very high, but, but she was hanging there for a while. And I remember my grandmother, like, sitting down in the kitchen, telling her friend, like, what on earth is she doing now? Because they could just hear some weird noises from the ceiling. And they're like, do, behöver I do help? Do you need any help? So, no, no, I'm fine. <laughs> Hanging from the ceiling. Yeah, yeah, she wanted to try it so she could describe it. And it's really, really well described, like the the feelings of fear and, and uh, oh my God, I'm alone here. Nobody will save me. I will just fall down and keep falling forever and ever. And then when she finally manages to crawl back inside... Uh, she just sits down on the floor. I always imagine it's here. <laughs> and I was like, I will never clean again. I will never, ever, ever clean again. I will be a better person. I will start being social. And, you know, I know this text really well because I uh, I made a dramatization mm-hmm. for the stage some years back. So we played, we played Senti November as a, as a theatre version. Let's pop back to the studio and talk to Sophia Jonsson, who herself inspired her aunt, Tove. Uh, I wish, I wish, but uh, but most of them were written by the time I was born. Um, and there's, there's one of the books called uh, The Invisible Child and Other Stories that is de- dedicated to me, and it was published in 1962, what, the year I was born. And uh, I'm always amazed because she... She's written this dedication in, in, in the beginning of the book, and then she's drawn this little girl with this very straight, sort of this head of straight, straight hair. And of course, she couldn't have known because I was just a newborn baby. But of course, I ended up looking just like that little girl with this straight hair right over my face when I was a little girl. But... Um, Yes, so so uh, I guess uh, like most authors, Tulbe also took inspiration from from life and and but then transformed it uh, with her own fantastic skills of how to use words and 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 language into these stories that we feel are so real and so true. What else? Um, there's a beautiful, on that shelf, you can see some Moomin dolls. They are very early. They were made in as probably the first merchandise ever to be made uh, based on her books. Uh, they were made by hand in the 50s by a company called Fauni without a license and without permission, but they were really lovely. And then in the end, of course, they discussed it with Tuve and, and they all agreed and they they continued making some of these dolls. They they are very cute and they mainly made the moving characters but also some of the others and they are hand-painted and they're little, the feet are of leather and the fur is sort of very nicely put on and 
And so uh, they look very retro. A little bit scary. It's they're not exactly like like toys uh, for children these days. But uh, you have to remember in the 50s, maybe the aesthetic was slightly different. Um, if you find them anywhere on an, at an auction or a, or a flea market, they are worth getting because they are definitely rare, uh, rare collector's items. Here we have some Moomin books on the shelves. Uh, but in general, there's not that much Moomin here. I think in her later years, of course, Tove's um, Moomin books became very, very popular and, and she too became quite famous, but she was slightly tired of people always asking her the same questions about the Moomins. And uh, as an artist, of course, she wanted to move on to other projects. I mean, painting and writing about, or writing other stories than Moomin stories, but Nonetheless, anybody that met her always wanted to ask about the Moomins. And so, of course, from her point of view, it was slightly boring. Um, so maybe she got rid of most of the Moomin stuff from her own home, so she wouldn't you know, have to look at them every single day. And she was a modern woman in her time. She was provocative, indeed, uh, with her political cartoons. She was provoking. I mean, when she pictured Stalin and Hitler and so on. But also in her way of living, uh, when she, well, I shall not say this, but when she went over to the, to the other side, as she writes herself, uh, when she says, I am a lesbian, and began to live with women. And she did it quite openly. That was brave. She, she lived as she wanted to live. But of course there were difficulties. For example, in the family, she, in her own family. You didn't talk about this in the family, never. Well, perhaps they did, but it's not, not so much. I mean, there, was a, there was a silence, indeed a silence about this, yes. She was modern in the sense that she was always, as an artist and as an author, she was always, she was searching for new horizons, for new aesthetics. She wanted to move on. She didn't want to stay in one mode of expression. I mean, it's the same thing in her pictorial art, that she, she changes. She's quite traditional in the beginning, but then she starts to paint abstract and so on. For the writing, she wrote the Moomin book, she did a series, she wrote some picture books, and then she wanted to move over. She wanted to cross cross a border. She crossed borders all the time. And she began to write books that were not for children. In this podcast series, we've also spoken of the commercialization of the Moomin brand. But does that also mean that Tove was a businesswoman? In a way, yes, she was. Um, she dealt with the Moomin business um, quite professionally from the beginning. It started quite early, uh, although she had to learn the business and she had to gather experience along the way. But she took care of it for a long time, several years. And later on, the, the company Moomin Characters uh, was founded. But I don't think really that businesswoman is the right thing to call her. 
Moomin Valley is calling. That's not right. <laughs> That's not right. But, um, well, I don't think that businesswoman is the right thing to call her. She used to say that, uh, you know, people were asking her, why don't you get a secretary to help you with all the letters? She got letters every day. And then she said, no, I don't want that. I want my studio. I want my studio to be a studio, not a bureau, an office. But uh, as a businesswoman or as a concerning her work, I mean, the work outside writing, she was very professional in a way that she wanted to supervise the production and she wanted to control the artistic quality. And you can see that in her letters. She had a, there's a huge correspondence uh, with different producers and people wanted to do different things with the moving characters and so on. I mean, she says uh, they want to do trolls in all kinds of possible and impossible materials. I think that's a good, good description. But there is one exa- example. I've said it before. That was a, a firm. They wanted to. They had made a, a sanitary towel for young girls, and uh, specially designed for young girls. And they wanted to call it Little Mai. The, this <laughs> this towel was soft and very nice, but no, she declined very firmly. Well, it's amazing. Moomin Characters is the official body responsible for Moomin copyright supervision. Tova Janssen and her brother Lars Janssen founded their family company in 1958 and their limited liability company Moomin Characters was established in 1979. Even today, the company is run by family members. Moomin Characters managing director Rolf Krokström is married to Tova Janssen's niece, Sophia Janssen. He still remembers his first meeting with Tove when he was still working in publishing. I met her twice at VSOU, but I was a sort of... I had recently started there and I was an absolute nobody in the context. And, and Tove Jansson, there, there was a tradition, which in hindsight is a little bit silly, that the publishers, especially some persons carrying the title publisher, had a wish to somehow own some of our sort of more prestigious authors and would have them sat in their room and then a few select people can come to that room and join the conversation. So it's funny to see with people working in publishing that they're actually fans themselves. That's why they've started working in publishing because they have this sort of yeah, fan, fandom. And once they get the jobs that give them access to the, the authors, they want to sort of have them only for themselves. And I, I remember sort of just say, hi, and then off you go. Thank you, you said hi now, you can bugger off. And I did, uh, so did everyone else, and only a few people were allowed to sit in that sort of golden ring of people. And and I, I have sort of made a mental note to myself never to repeat that, in in any context. The top management, your most prestigious partners, should always be where everyone else is, and not in the corner table. 
Interesting how life is constantly changing. One day you're at the bottom and in the next you're on the top. Or is that just a rap lyric? I don't know. Anyway, to quote Moomin Papa. Isn't life exciting? Everything can change all of a sudden and for no reason at all. But speaking of commercialism, has Tove herself become a so-called brand? That's a very intelligent question and, and uh, still commences fierce debate in, in, in the company. When we altered our strategy to where we sort of stopped miming the entertainment industry and said that Moomin is art, we bring in the most sort of important differentiating factor, the artist. Because that's something the entertainment industry never produces because it's made as a team effort and Disney is the brand or Pocahontas. The people behind are sort of peripheral. And this is something, I mean, it's one of the most complex mechanisms that mankind has created and maintains is how good art and good artists are validated and become canon. And when someone tries to forcefully do that, they always create unintentional comedy. No one has ever cracked how you validate good art. It just happens. And if you try, you become a clown. So you, you have to rely on that status and not sort of enhance it. Tuve Jansson was very, very private and, and sometimes flattered, mostly taken aback by the sort of vaguely obsessive uh, features of fandom. And she wanted to be on her island or travel with her loved ones or, or do what she does and be left to her own device, uh, which was very difficult to achieve because she became uh, a star. But this star quality is very important to understand. She was an absolutely exceptional person, really witty, enormously wise and, and philosophically sort of savvy uh, and, and had a fantastic way of wording the deepest emotions of men, really. And, and it's, we, we, we brought her in, whereas previously, perhaps a little bit, Sophia had tried to segregate. Well, we have the Moomins, but Tuve's real artist, he was here in pictorial art and literature. And then we, and Sophia wasn't entirely happy with how and when it happened, but I think she's absolutely okay with it today. And we have found an equilibrium where we do not commercialize Tuve or anything that has to do with her persona. But she is an integral part of who we are today. And perhaps the one thing that is most difficult to any of our 
competitors to somehow copy or mime or try to achieve something similar. But Rolf, couldn't the Moomin brand exploit the amazingness of Tove to an even greater extent? She's a marvellous human being, immensely inspiring, a role model for all. And people pay a lot of money for inspiration. Everything you can do, you shouldn't do. It's not necessary to do everything you can do. And we, we that, that is the part of my job and life that I enjoy most at the moment. Letting things go. You don't have to do everything. After a long and creative life, Tove became ill and passed away on the 27th of June, 2001. She was 86 years old. As of 2020, Tove Janssen's birthday, the 9th of August, is a semi-official flag-flying day in Finland. That means that state institutions raise the flag, and the Home Office recommends a general raising of the flag in the nation. The actor, Samuel West, was in his dressing room when he heard of Tove Janssen's passing. Here, he tells publicist Tanya Jansk his reaction to the news of her death. I remember I was playing Hamlet um, the day I discovered her death. I was in the, the green room at the Royal Shakespeare Company in Stratford-on-Avon. And I'd always wanted to write to her, you know, along with a, a, a very small handful of people. She had really been such an enormous influence on, on my life and, and my conception of what life was, really. And I opened that day's times and saw the obituary and I went, oh! And I was really, really shocked. I remember it like it was yesterday because I never did write to her. And so she, she never knew how much her work meant to me. But I mean, millions of people did and they're no different from me. I was, you were playing Hamlet. That's so amazing. <laughs> so Hamlet at the Royal yeah. Shakespeare. Yeah. And Hamlet's perfect as well for for using loss and grief. Yeah, I, I, I do remember thinking you should just you should just you should just drop a line, shouldn't you? Just sort of put it down and say thanks. Mm. Thanks for doing what you do. But here we are, we're doing it now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. We should be raising a glass of whiskey to Torfe yeah. and opening a tin of sardines, apparently. Really? Yeah, I love both of those sardines. things. Yeah. That's, that's great, yeah, whiskey and sardines. <laughs> it's an interesting mixture. <laughs> Torfe Janssen's legacy is, of course, much greater than that. Her books have been translated into 45 languages, and it's not just her Moomin books that keep getting rediscovered by new generations. Sort of Books is an independent publishing venture by Mark Ellingham and Natanya Jantz, and they discovered Tove Janssen's work by accident. Their beautiful home in the north of London is a combination of both home and publishing house. This is where we work. We don't only publish the moments. We publish many books, but... We do publish a lot of Torve Janssen. 24 Torve Janssen titles. No, mostly... it's not 24, is it? It's, I think it's 8 24. plus 4, 12, and yeah, it is. Not... We began mostly with 23, the, I think, Mark, the you're exaggerating. Titles. did the summer book and then we did all of that adult fiction. After that, uh, we'd, done, we'd done just the big 
picture books of the Moomins, mm. and then and then the Moomin people said, "Do the <laughs> do some beautiful hardback." The rights became available, yeah. and they 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 asked us. We wanted to do it, and we leapt at that chance. So it's unusual path because <clears throat> we came to to Torbe Janssen through the through the adult fiction. So well, we, not, we not quite. Mark, because you found that amazing... It all began with Mark going to Seattle and finding this book, the book about Moomin, Mimble and Little Mai in, a, in an English translation. And this, this is the, be- the most beautiful of all Moomin books, the one with the cut-out pages that mm. you follow the journey of Moomin through the woods. And yeah. it, it, it was such a beautiful book and it hadn't been uh, in print in Britain for about 25 years. So there was just a little print uh, publication in in America and so we got the rights for that one and then when uh, Sophia Janssen, Torve's niece, was coming to London uh, the publisher suggested that we met with her and said of course you must read the summer book because it's all about Sophia as a little girl with her grandmother Uh, and so we read the summer book and thought it's wonderful, we must publish this. And um, the summer book again had been out of print in Britain for 20 years, and so... More, 40, I think. Mm. It, it, barely, it barely had any impact when it came out the first time. It just wasn't the time for it. Mm. And when we bought it out, we, we discovered that there were these fans in the UK, really quite important literary figures who had grown up with the Moomins. I mean, you'll talk to Sam West and there was, and Ali Smith was a huge fan. And Philip and Pullman, of course. Uh, Philip yeah. Pullman was a massive fan, Frank Cottrell Boyce, Maggie O'Farrell. But these people started to sort of make themselves known to us. We had sort of various friends who knew people who had passed the word around and suddenly we discovered that there was this great constituency of interest in... Torve Janssen. And when the summer book came out, it just flew. It was, mm-hmm. it really touched a chord. And that was, uh, but with the book about Moomin, Mimble and Little Mai, that sort of started it off because, you know, we didn't, we had no clue. We just knew it was a stunning book because it was so innovative. 1952, and it had this interactive style with cutouts where you, you don't just read the book, you move through the book, literally through the book, through mm-hmm. the pages. Mm-hmm. And the colour was incredible. We'd ne- we hadn't seen colour like that for just, just you know, the most amazingly vivid. Well, I have to, I have to say that when, uh, when we were meeting up with Sophia and we were quickly reading the summer book, we read the first, uh, you know, both of us read the first chapter and we had that excitement that you get. It happens... You know, we love all our books, but there, there's a moment where you just get this excitement where you think, this is terrific, this hasn't, nobody's read this that we know, and we're going to publish it. And it's a very rare, that very rare feeling where you know you've found something great. And and the extraordinary thing with Torfe was it was like being a, a miner where you sort of, where you hit on a seam of something that glints and you realise that seam is going on and on and on. It's not just a little moment. Mm-hmm. And, and that there were these other books which were never sort of... The extraordinary things with, with writers, you get the, the great book and the classic book and then the rest is sort of the also-rans. But with, with Torve, there isn't that scraping the barrel feeling that there's these qualities in almost everything that she writes. So, so you know, I love the summer book. Um, I also absolutely love The True Deceiver 
fair play, I think, is we had val- it's Valentine's, it was Valentine's Day yesterday. Mm. Fair play is the most romantic book, as far as I'm concerned. It might it's the love between two mature women um, in their in their fifties, and it's it shows you how to be romantic, how to really love at, uh, at you know in, in mature years. Mm. That's that's always been my. It's also about work as well, isn't it? The, the fair play. It's about their love of the, their passion for writing and art as well. I mean, it's uh, it's all about their their most deeply held values. Um, but I think with the summer book, um, what's so special about that is that you know a lot of people will say it is their favourite book of all, um, and and it's very rare when you publish a book that that has that that sort of resonance where. Year after year, you'll you'll have people people polling for their favourite books, and the summer book is always on somebody's list. And of course, it has a fantastic title. It sells every summer. Everybody wants to take the summer book on their holidays. Det ensamt att jämt vara fin, inga gäster men massor på slin. Jag speglar av guld i mitt hem. Jag har ingen som tittar i dem. Jag har bjudit en gaffsa på te. Jag har bett en hemul på supé. Men de ringde igår och ursäktade sig och pratade vidare och tackade nej. Oh, that's the Filiank song about how she invites people and then no one comes. So sad. I have gold mirrors that no one reflects themselves in. A sad song that gets brighter in the end when Filionk decides she needs to find her own strength and not rely on others. The person singing is Emma Klingenberg, and she is proof that you can discover new things about Torve and Moomin Valley. Emma has composed an entire show with Torve Jonsson's songs and has spent innumerable hours searching and reading through boxes upon boxes of Torve's documents and notes. Perhaps Emma has found the soundtrack of Torve Jonsson's life. Before I went into her studio, I, I went through, you know, all archives and I read letters and so on. I had so many questions that I was hoping to find answers to in her Uh, home. <laughs> yeah, I, I worked really hard, actually. I forgot to eat and drink. And, you know, I was just writing and trying to sort of uh, like Tove, perhaps. <laughs> Maybe it was the... <laughs> yeah. She's in everything in there, I think, in a way or another. To me, when I look at, you know, Tove's paintings and and the the lyrics and the books and everything that she did and created to me the music is in it you can see the music everywhere you have the rhythm you have the harmonies uh you know the colors the everything it sort of blends into each other mm-hmm. and i think that tuve was like that sort of like um synesthetic in a way and she also uh explained it or sort of described it uh, that way that that she can hear uh, music and remember music connected to special um, happenings or um, situations and that everything is sort of blending into each other and maybe maybe she worked sort of in that way also when she painted and wrote that the the rhythm and the music uh was always present in a way. And that's, to me, it's, it's really an interesting way of, of looking at art in general. But definitely now when I've studied the songs, the lyrics and, 
and her musical world in a way. Uh, and I, I know that music was really important to her. So, of course, it was a part of her uh, art history as well. So maybe I found um, the soundtrack of Tuve's life. <laughs> I was walking up the cemetery because I was looking for Tuve's uh, uh, grave. And I, I've been walking a lot and I'm looking for it many times, but I didn't find it. So, uh, well, I was getting a little, little bit tired of it, looking for it. So I was like, okay, Tuve, please show me where it is. Uh, and then I found it. And I stood there at the, uh, by, by the grave and I, I was really, okay, hello, and this is really nice and it's a beautiful grave, you know, with a little child. And when I stood there, a squirrel came and it sat just next to me and looked at me in the eyes and sort of just jumped away, exactly like Titiou, um, you know, the, the small creature from, <laughs> from uh, one of the books uh, when, you know, Titiou wanted a name. And uh, Snufkin gave gave name to to the little creature, and it was Titiou. And my first pet was actually also named Titiou. So to me, I was thinking that the squirrel, okay, it was it was maybe Tuva that sent sent it, saying hello and you know keep up the good work or something. <laughs> it was really nice. I was happy. <laughs> The November song lyrics are by Tove Janssen and the music and vocal performances by Emma Klingenberg herself. listening to the podcast about the Moomin phenomenon, made by Soundtelling on behalf of Moomin Characters, producer Antonio de la Cruz and Melody Lovelin. Executive producer was Tove Leffler, sound engineer Gustav Sonden, and I, of course, am Jennifer Saunders. Thank you for listening. And go and find some Moomin. Man, wenn